All right, we're here with John Semley, and we, you know, John, you're here to talk about a famous Minnesota singer. Some would say one of the most famous, but according to singersroom.com, not really in the top five. No, they privilege Tyka Nelson, the Jayhawks, Bill Berry. Uh, depends what singers room list you're looking at. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm just looking at the list that is of singers from Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so just singers from Minnesota, not famous singers. No, just these are 10 famous singers, but it doesn't rank them as most or least. (laughs) Yeah, like Singers Room has been going for long enough now where they just have like dozens of nearly identical articles that contradict one another slightly. And the one that I've got pulled up for top 10 uh, singers from Minnesota, number 10, a guy from the Eagles, number nine, Eddie Cochran. Number eight, Julie, Judy Garland. This is where it gets insane, though. Number seven is Prince. And you're like, oh, wow. who's going to be in the six top people six? more famous than Prince in Minnesota. Yeah. Wow. And then number six is Bob Dylan. So now you've already gotten rid of the top two that you would normally think of. Bob Mold? <laughs> but, oh, true. Yeah, okay. he's not even making the list. No. But okay, this is weird because I'm looking at like a totally different list called 10 Famous Singers from Minnesota. And in the write-up, it says... From Bob Dylan to Prince, some of the most iconic singers and songwriters <laughs> have come from the land of 10,000 lakes. And then the list includes neither Bob Dylan nor Prince. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that, one, that might be better than this one even, because at least this one puts them at number six and seven. Right. Canada must have more lakes than Minnesota, right? Yeah. I don't know. There's no way Canada doesn't have more lakes. Um, but I think you got to compare it to one province, maybe. It'd be unfair to do all of Canada. In, in, they should call it the state of a, the state of ten thousand lakes. Yeah, land is too generic. Uh, in Canada, you can go to wait. What is it? It's the largest freshwater lake on the largest island in a freshwater lake in the largest freshwater lake on a freshwater island. And I've done it. <laughs> Uh, it's a lot of qualifiers there. there. Yeah, well, it's like it's an island, and then there's a lake on it, and then there's an island in that lake, and then there's a lake in that island. Uh, and it's one of those things like everything in Canada where you go to do it so that you can say you have done it. <laughs> There's that huge continental shelf of useless, beautiful land. Mm-hmm. You can't grow anything up there. It's too cold. This massive continent. You wouldn't want to look at it. Well, you, you do want to look at it sometimes. Yeah. From a distance, though. Yeah. I wouldn't want to go there. That's too far out. No. And what if you get lost? Like hatchet. That's true. And that's I, been one of my fears for a long time. Yeah. I guess that's why Minnesota exists to be a kind of like uh, vestibule to Canada, but <laughs> a vestibule that you just mull around in without uh, entering the house. I think Minnesota exists um, to give us Chad Smith from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, number five on the list. See, this I don't like. I don't like how people can have a different state that they're from whenever they want. They're talking about being from California all the damn time. Yeah, I think right. Anthony Kiedis should have to specify that Chad Smith is from uh, Minnesota whenever they mention California in a song. I think Anthony Kiedis is from Michigan, too. So he's oh, probably yeah, on the right. Michigan list if they have one. And I think that's bullshit. If you're going to stake your claim in one state, you got to be from that state. So now we have, we have a pretty good uh, take here that the Red Hot Chili Peppers are actually a Midwestern band. Yeah. I guess they are. They should have some more like hippie jibby songs about like being in Minnesota. Yeah, in Hibbins, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah, hippie, hippie, hippie. They should all move back. <laughs> they should move back. Yeah. Um, oh man, Minnesotification. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's funny. I'm looking at a fucking... Okay, so... Singer's Room is bizarre. So this one that I'm looking at, 10 Famous Singers from Minnesota, number nine is just a local contemporary Christian artist. <laughs> and then number 10 is a guy named Slug. And the description for Slug, it's like the AI is glitching. It says, this informative article talks about celebrated musicians hailing from Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love this website, man. So much yeah. stuff like that. It's not our job to educate you. Exactly. Look up slug on your own. So on the one I'm on, number two overall is Tammy Faye Baker, the ex-wife of Jim Baker, who we've talked about on the show sometimes, like the insane televangelist who went to prison and then got out on a technicality. Yeah, he has the buckets. Before that, he had a wife who was like a, an ironic gay icon. That's this one, right? Tammy Faye Baker? This is his yeah, first wife. Yeah. yeah. That's his first wife. Now his wife is Lori, I think. Yeah, that's right. And she's just like a weird, like, yes, man. Like, she's like... She's like a hype man on the show, basically. She just says yes in the background while he's talking. Like, yes, yeah, that's she's right. not a yes. personality like Tammy Faye was. Yeah. Well, wasn't Tammy Faye like anti-gay uh, everything? And then she came around on it, right? Yeah, I think she switched sides or she was like one of the first people to speak out about AIDS or something. Yeah, after she was sort of an accomplice to Jim Baker and he went to prison, I think she kind of became less shitty, maybe. Right. It's like Princess Diana, where they like hold hands with a guy with AIDS. And it's incredible. Yeah. yeah, she was the American Princess Diana, I think. <laughs> Tammy Faye Baker. And she's a more famous artist from Minnesota than Bob Dylan or Prince. And yeah. that would make Jim Baker uh, King Charles. Right. King James. <laughs> the Andrews sisters. They're good. Who cares where they're from? Yeah. yeah they belong I had to no the idea world. They're from there. <laughs> I like that, like, you thought they were from somewhere, but just never Minnesota. Yeah. This uh, is another one where the bottom of every uh, every point on the bullet point list is from the last one. Yeah, the wrong uh, oh, yeah. artist. Mod and son they're really, really bad in this. Yeah. Who's Mod's son? I have no idea. Well, he proves that sunshine and rap can coexist, even in Minnesota's <laughs> chilly winters. Sunshine and rap can coexist. These are the worst taglines. I remember I was driving into the state of Minnesota and I was saying to my friend in the passenger seat, sunshine and rap cannot exist. And then as soon as we crossed the border, we were schooled. Mod yeah, Sun rap came happens on the radio. in the dark. Yeah. Rap happens in the dark. That's true. Chad well, Smith may hail from Minnesota, but his drumming skills are out of this world. No wonder he's <laughs> the hot spiced pepper in Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> Goddamn. He's the hot spiced pepper? <laughs> yeah. Is it like what is gorillas or one of those things where he's like the spicy pepper or like Spice Girls like, where they each have a different yeah. thing? Spice Boys? Yeah. yeah. You have spice pepper, bass pepper. Sock pepper. <laughs> and bell pepper. Yeah. You know how you famously spice a pepper? Yeah. Hot spiced pepper. That is Very a pretty strange. good idea, just like dumping cayenne on a pepper and just eating it. I also like just the, the hack wording. He has served as their drummer, like as if it's in the military. Uh, man, <laughs> I'm, I'm reading the biography of K.K. Downing from Judas Priest, and it's like one of those like ghost-written band bios where it's just so obvious that some guy with like a fucking 11th grade English degree just like wanted to write this shit out of it. And it's like, 
around the 1970s when priests hit its stride, we were really causing oral mayhem. It's like, shut the <laughs> fuck up. Yeah. What? Like oral A-U-R-A-L. Oh, okay. <laughs> just I was going like, to say, like, oh, they're just going around the country sucking dick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe wait until chapter two to get into that. No, but there's a funny story in that book of them, like, getting blown by groupies while, like, frontman Rob Helford is in the van honking the horn, being like, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> He had no time for pussy. No, none at all. And that's why we love that band. Prince may have been called the artist formerly known as, but in Minnesota, he'll always be known as the Purple Rainer. (laughs) (laughs) And it's rain like R-E-I-G-N, like he was... Oh, it's trying to be clever, I guess. Oh, it's like a royalty joke. Yes. But they didn't take the time to put it in the right column. It's also funny because it's in the past tense, so it's like the art. He may have been known as the artist formerly known as, but admit- <laughs> Judy Garland may have been from Minnesota, but it was Oz that made her an icon. That's true. Her extensive body of work continues to live on. Who's Eddie Cochran? Oh, Summertime Blues. Yeah, he died pretty early. He was uh, like a teeny bopper artist, influential right. rock and roller, and then he crashed his car. That was really like the early rock and roll life right there. Yeah. That was what you did if you were a rock and roller and you died in the late 50s. You either crashed a car or you crashed a plane. That was before drugs. Yeah, you become immortal in about six weeks by getting a bunch of 11-year-old fans to like you. Yeah. And then and then crash the third car ever manufactured. And then a couple <laughs> of those fans eventually cover your song and you get known for it being covered like 15 times. Yeah. Yeah. Eddie Cochran may have died in a car, but he'll always have been from Minnesota. <laughs> the one for uh, the guy from the Eagles here is it's it makes an interesting attempt at a joke. Bernie Leiden may have left the Eagles, but he left his he left his mark on Minnesota's music scene like a bird leaving droppings on a freshly washed car. <laughs> wow, like- <laughs> that is brutal for. Oh yeah. A guy who is like a competent bass player for the Eagles. Yeah. I think he did like high backing vocals. It's I also- think it knows that it's doing a joke, but it doesn't realize that it's making it seem like he's shitting on Minnesota. Yeah. And it's also, <laughs> yeah. it's also like a damning, you know, this is number 10 of the 10 most famous singers from Minnesota. <laughs> and number six is Prince. And by the time you get to four down, it's this guy is a piece of shit who's scattered in <laughs> shit all over the state of Minnesota. <laughs> All of his output is garbage. Bernie Ledin may have taken a shit in a toilet, but his music is a piece of shit that sits all over the legacy of Minnesota. <laughs> I guess it doesn't say they're good. It just says they're famous. It just says they're from there. They're the most from there of any artist. I think it would dispute that they're famous because who is that mod son guy? Like half these aren't even that famous. Yeah, I don't know who that is. No, I don't know. Well, except for how he made rap in the daylight without... His skin catching on fire. <laughs> oh yeah, sunwrap. It's crazy. Sunwrap, yeah. So all Day of this, rap. all of this is just to say that Bob Dylan is not a uniquely famous talent from Minnesota whatsoever. No, and to really distinguish yourself being from Minnesota is difficult. Yeah, you're competing with Mod Sun, the Andrews Sisters, Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah, and I'm sure Heavy if they read the Andrews sisters individually, they would have taken up three or four spots on the list. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I guess we're going to talk about 70s Dylan here. Of By this point, yeah, he's well beyond Minnesota, you know? He doesn't give a fuck about the Andrews sisters or Mod Son at this point. He spits on them. If you ever saw Mod Son, he'd act like he doesn't know his name. Yeah. 
he doesn't care about where he's from. He's always talking about the South or the West or New York. Yeah. Yeah. That's the first Scorsese Dylan documentary has a lot of good stuff about that. Where all the people who met him early on in New York kind of give you a good idea for how full of shit he was of just like he just had like studied Woody Guthrie's like demeanor and then he would just tell people in New York, Yeah, I was on the rail up from Oklahoma or some shit. And it's like, no, you weren't. <laughs> He's so funny. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like people do make fun of him for that, that he was uh, a fake from the beginning. Yeah, it's just who he is at his that's core. That's what's awesome you know? about him. That yeah. he'll be a cowboy for one album or he'll be like a folk singer for another album or a rock star. And everyone kind of knows that it's a little ridiculous, including him. Yeah, exactly. But that's why he's Bob Dylan. It's not like a gotcha to tell him that he's like putting anything on. Yeah, like he kind of yeah. he kind of reminds me of like of guys from that era. He's like Andy Warhol or something like that, where it's like he just understands that you can turn yourself into a work of art and like I don't know, kind of fuck with people and be a little Midwestern weirdo who worms their way into everyone's hearts. Yeah, and he did that more than almost anyone. Of like. There's so little you can ever really... I don't even think he knows himself anymore. You know what I mean? Like, he devoted his whole life to being a character. And at the end of the day, all that's left is the work, you know? That's what American music was until pretty recently, I guess. Where, like, it goes back to uh, Stephen Foster and Al Jolson (laughs) and all these guys that put on, like, blackface in some cases or they, they... Played these characters that they weren't. Yeah, I hope you were going to bring up stuff Al like Credence because it is just like uh, the most absurd extreme of that. You know, are you yeah, telling me a, a Jewish guy? Are you telling from me that New Al Jolson wasn't a black jazz musician? <laughs> he was not really a black guy. Wow, but it's Stunning. true. Yeah. Even even in like this sort of like uh, who are the guy like the Lo- Bernie Lomax when they like took Lead Belly on tour and they would like dress him in a prison uniform to be like look how real this guy is but he's literally <laughs> in a costume or like Hank Williams was of course like number one for that where like everyone points to him as like the genuine authentic article of country music but there was so much put into like wrapping him up in like different clothes and hats and stuff like that yeah totally um, yeah he was on morphine the whole time yeah and, and he was awesome but yeah i don't think he was on any ranches no definitely not he died like aspirating in the back of a golden cadillac or something though no? yeah he didn't even make it to 30 they were just injecting with injecting him with stuff all day long yeah but yeah, I think like Dylan is like a guy where that was always like the the gimmick from the jump, you know, that no one's going to have any kind of beat on him, that he'll zig when people want him to zag uh, and you can follow along with it or you can just kind of like fuck off. But it's weird now because like I feel like now people have a really uh, s- sophisticated or nuanced understanding of Dylan's career. But I feel like when I was a kid, there was still stuff like you don't have to listen to anything after like 1968 except for blood on the tracks and then like time out of mind, you know, but now I feel like there's a broad appreciation of all the nooks and crannies in his catalog. I mean, I still at the end of the day think that that's ultimately more true than not, you know, like there's no doubt that he wrote his best, like the biggest concentration of great songs were in the sixties and then the mid seventies are another obvious peak, but it is true that there's other like, great moments here and there, but I like, I don't know. At the end of the day, I kind of still think that that's like, if someone's trying to get into Bob Dylan, that's still exactly the way to do it. Probably. Yeah. No, I I don't think blood on the tracks is that good. Oh, come on. Yeah, it is really good. I don't think it's that good. You don't like, uh, what have you, you've heard the New York session one, like the more stripped down version. 
That doesn't do anything for you? Oh, it's too stripped down as it is. I need more instruments on it. <laughs> I like it because it's stripped down, like uh, Buckets of Rain and stuff like that. Those are like the best songs on there. Yeah. And I don't know. Simple Twist of Fade is just such a beautiful song. Shelter from the Storm, I love. Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts is the only one where I like have to listen to the stripped down one because I have a thing for like hating anything that has a carnival vibe. Yeah, like, totally. <laughs> You that, don't like carnivals? That sort of like Tom Waitsy hand accordion thing. I do like them, but I think it's like, it's such an easy shorthand to connote a sense of like zaniness that I find it cheap or something like yeah, that. Yeah, you need sophisticated yeah, zaniness. Yeah, I, I get that for sure. I only go Especially to- since it's other people arranging it. Yeah. So someone just saying like, yeah, I have a circus. Yeah, that's in. the thing about Dylan. Like I've said this a million times on this show, but Dylan's just so bad at arrangements. He's such a great songwriter and such just a mediocre arranger and like- like technical performer, you know? Well, it's one of those Which things is fine, it's like, but... Yeah, and it's like, I, I just think that like he, even when it's on a record, he doesn't commit to an arrangement. And like yeah. when a lot of people have difficulty with him live, I mean, you know, he's super old and, you know, I'm not saying he's not putting effort into it, but it's sometimes could feel that way but i feel like he's just like constantly fucking with the arrangements so people always talk about like oh it took me like a verse or until they got to the chorus even know what song he was singing and it's like yeah because he's like constantly like rearranging stuff on the fly there's something i admire about it but then it's also like when you pay 120 dollars for a ticket to see it and you're just kind of scratching your head the whole time it might be harder to appreciate yeah especially because the various arrangements he does are just like they're not that inspired. It's like, oh, this is in 3-4 now. Or, oh, there's a fucking accordion on this shit now. Like, the opposite of that to me is like Animal Collective, where they'll just use such different gear for each album that they'll redo the old songs with a totally new arrangement just because, like, now they're using, like, you know, uh, samplers or now they're using, like, uh, modular synths or whatever. And that to me, like, they, they, like, try to make an arrangement that fits the song. And, like, there's, like, more thought put into it maybe. Whereas with him, it's usually just like, oh, I'm going to do this one really slow tonight. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't finish any of the arrangements. Yeah. He never finishes it. Other people have to. I think that there's he keeps a, changing it, but he never actually finishes it. I think there's a reason that those like bootleg box sets do so well because it's like, and people and myself included, I think you tend to there's a I respond to like the early kind of unpolished versions because they seem like they're more his or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like even the '80s stuff, like the the Springtime in New York box set that came out like last year, like there's some great versions of stuff on that where it's like it made me go back and you know listen to fucking albums like Empire Burlesque, which like for years I just took as being something you skip over in the dollar bin at a record store, you know? Yeah, I think that's still the appeal of the '60s stuff, though, is that there's the highest concentration of stuff that's just like him recording a full album in one night by himself and it's all really good. And the fact that he's not trying to arrange it except just like guitar and harmonica makes it easier to like, see like the core idea of the song, I guess. Yeah. I can't get into any of that stuff. I feel like the song isn't finished until you have all the pieces there. You can't get into like bringing it all back home and that stuff or before that. Or no, that's a good one, but that's an electric. That's the first one where it's it's half and half. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I like the electric side better. I think that something that definitely feels dated about the straight protest stuff. I mean, it's good, but it's like, I don't know. I think it's a thing. It's one of those things where it's like you just burn it out so much when you're in high school or something like that. Like, it'd be like trying to listen to Rage Against the Machine and like see it for what it is. You know, that's why my favorite album of his is Another Side of Bob Dylan, because it's right after all the protest stuff. 
And he still has a few good ones like Chimes of Freedom, where it's like sort of like a uh, idealistic song, but it's not really concrete. It's not like Who Killed Davey Moore, where he's talking about a specific thing, you know? And it has just such a mixture of different types of songs on there, but it's all really stripped down. Like, I love that album. Me too. And it's also like a break in his career in a way where it's like, uh, obviously going electric was this you know, scandalous thing. But another side of Bob Dylan, like it's arguably a bigger artistic change just in the sense that he's becoming introspective and writing kind of like love songs or personal songs and not explicitly doing an album of like protest music. Right. Yeah, for sure. So if people who, who had that kind of like label on him, uh, you know, I can't imagine why it took them a whole extra year to be like, he's forsaken our generation. Your generation is a joke to begin with. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If anything's yeah. clear with hindsight, it's that, you know? Like, sh- I'm trying to find out who killed Davey Moore. Like, yeah. <laughs> listen to this. Yeah. He didn't want to become Phil Oaks. No, definitely not. I like, mean, no hatred towards Phil Oaks, but he didn't have a great life compared to. Bob Dylan. Yeah. I see why he made that choice. Yeah. I think he wanted to be cool at the end of the day. And who could blame him? He wanted to be cool. Yeah. He wanted to go around New York and have cool pictures taken of him. And wear polka dots and a little scarf and have a weird man go through his trash. Have you guys ever listened to those tapes, the A.J. Weberman tapes, where he's like harassing no. Bob Dylan? Oh, <laughs> dude, it's so funny. It's like the early 70s where this guy, A.J. Weberman, who wrote uh, this book called The Encyclopedia of Dylanology, was like rooting through Dylan's trash of his New York apartment to like find out stuff about him. And then he like got a phone bill and started like crank calling him and then released the crank calls as an album on like a small folk label. <laughs> Uh, it's, it's like it's That's like an amazing cool. oh dude it's awesome there's like an amazing part where it's just like he's like Dylan's like man you gotta let me go man I gotta build these shells my wife's gonna kill me it's <laughs> <Just> like <laughs> like trying to put together a fucking Ikea bookcase and this guy's like you're a liar Dylan you're a liar <laughs> okay we should probably listen to that in the future on this show <laughs> yeah wait can- why did he not like Dylan uh, because he thought that Dylan had like abandoned protests and all that but this guy was like a total crank like he subsequently believed that uh, Dylan contracted HIV from a dirty heroin needle during COVID he was doing like YouTube videos about how Bob Dylan died of COVID oh wow uh, he's still around doing this stuff wait so he had HIV he alleged that that uh, and so this guy's whole shit but he didn't die of that no, he didn't yeah, die he, that. But, but so he's one of the oldest living HIV. He was one of the oldest living until HIV COVID patients. Killed him. Until, until COVID. Until COVID killed him. And then he did an 80-date tour of Japan uh, last month. But uh, yeah, the, this guy's whole thing was like, okay, so he did this encyclopedia of Dylanology where he thought that he could like, that every word had a secret hidden meaning. And he put all his like deciphered meetings on punch cards and created like an index of it and then published that index. And like, it's totally cockamamie. I fucking, I wish I had it yeah. in front of me. That's a I very a specific of kind of crazy person for sure. It's like, it's to- I don't. Like, it's, like, it's like a worthy adversary for Dylan, though. You know, like a worthy yeah. <laughs> adversary for Dylan is not like a, a British guy being like, why is it that you thought you had to play an electric guitar? It's a guy like fucking going through Dylan's daughter's diapers and like reading them like the I Ching to figure out what his lyrics yeah, mean. Yeah, absolutely. You know? <laughs> how are you that big of a fan of him? It's the same thing with John Lennon, where how are you a John Lennon fan and you don't know that he just wants to fuck with people? Totally. And that he's making shit up. Same thing with Bob Dylan. Like, sometimes he's saying things he means. Sometimes it's just bullshit. It's also funny. Like, 
Of course, that's what it is. I, I think about that AJ Weber man guy a lot these days because it's like, fuck, not to get out of this, but it's like if you go on the internet and see how people talk about like Taylor Swift, someone who's like music is like so anodyne, I think, but it's like just the de facto way that people engage with anything in pop culture now is at like the most insane, demented level, you know? Like yeah, that's totally. just like the average fan. And like these dudes used to be like pariahs in the 70s. And now like they share the same psychology as like an 18 year old girl who has to justify going to a Taylor Swift concert because her boyfriend was on a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> the Weber <laughs> manification of fandom. Exactly. Yeah. That's the kind of shit I could publish and get 300 bucks in my bank account. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cha-ching. I mean, pull up, pull up a picture of Adam Friedland and a picture of Bob Dylan in like 1968. Yeah. And then uh, put a caption, any questions. Uh, and then just get that paycheck, like pull it out a, a shit at the deli, you know? <laughs> we're just asking questions. <laughs> exactly. Well, you know what? Next, we're going to start getting some answers because we already looked at some AI generated stuff, but now we're going to have to consult our own all knowing AI that comes up with the perfect score for every album. Let's actually get into the 70s specifically here. I think this starts in like the 70s for him start in a pretty low period. I think maybe all of us agree. Self portrait, new morning. Pet Bear, Self, Pet Garrett, I think New Morning soundtrack. is good. I, I, I think New Morning is good. Self Portrait is. I do think nothing, New Morning though. is the best of that whole stretch there. Like, mm, I like Self Portrait. <laughs> I like. I'm a Self Portrait really? dude. I'm like a total. I mean, all the tired horses is kind of amazing. It's interesting. It I doesn't do think, have him on it. Yeah, it's super smart to start an album that way. It's called Self Portrait, and then you're just not singing on the first song. That is very funny. I do like that. It also has like a Gordon Lightfoot cover on it. And like, I, I mean, it's obviously kind of like a weird, stupid grab bag. Yeah. Uh, but it has that quality, like calling your album self-portrait, putting a painting of yourself on it. Everyone expecting you to just like do big swings all the time. And it kind of is like, you know, like I was talking about those bootleg series albums, sort of in the same way that like Springsteen did Nebraska and he made like a fake stripped down album. Here's Dylan being like, eh, here's yeah. a bunch of like cutting room floor bric-a-brac. And yeah, but it's like Nebraska is a way, a way better album than self-portrait. But uh, yeah. I also think Bruce Springsteen needs to finish Nebraska. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they, they published something in the news where it's like Bruce Springsteen returns to the house from Nebraska. And it was like, it had a driveway and it was totally nice. And it's like, I feel like in my mind, he was in like a fucking Ted Kaczynski lean to not just like <laughs> living in a suburban house in Nebraska. Yeah. I think, um, so I think we should take it album by album here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we'll start with self-portrait. Yeah. I guess John, what you were saying does contextualize that a little bit more usefully for me that it was kind of good for him not to take a big swing of like, Almost everything he did in the 60s was like a big deal. So it is kind of good to lower, like, I don't know if that sounds weird, but to like lower expectations by being like, here's just a bunch of stuff I did, you know? And I think it sets a tone for this. I mean, the real sort of shift, I guess, is after Blonde on Blonde. But like John Wesley Harding and Nashville Skyline, people like those albums and they liked them when they came out and they did well and all that. But like, I think there's something going into like a new decade where Dylan's like, I don't know, don't take me too seriously. Don't don't think that everything is going to be like this artifact that you're going to obsess over. Um, and I don't know, it got I think it got the reaction it deserved in a way where most people just like despised it and thought it was a grab bag of junk. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's probably better than 99 percent of records ever recorded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. Like you're judging it by the standard of a Dylan album. But by that standard, I do think it's like not that great. Like, yeah. 
Well, you know, agree to disagree. What does the random number generator give it? Let's see. You mean, oh, you mean the objective correct score? Oh, right. Yeah, sorry. The objective correct <laughs> score generator. Let's find out. 3.3. Ooh. <sighs> I guess I'm on the wrong side of history. You know, I'll agree with that. Yeah, I'm going to go with that, too. <laughs> you know why I'm going with it? Because it's objectively really... right. That's true. I wouldn't want to side against it. The thing that's weird about it, I think, is that uh, he uses the two different voices that he cultivated. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, he does like the Nashville skyline voice and like his normal voice. It's because it was just tracks that he had, right? Yeah. Stuff that he had around, but it is kind of to call it self-portrait. And then you have this example of how you're switching your personalities like that within the span of like three years. He's code switching, but it's hard to tell what he's switching to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't know what. He forgets if he's in Nashville or upstate New York. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think there's even like some live cuts on there too. Like it's a total. Yeah, the last track is like a Rolling Stone, a live version. Right. Which I think is cheating. I think it's cheating to put a live version of a hit song on your album. But it's kind of funny. Like Like most people would never, no one would think to do that when they're like only 10 years into their career. Yeah, maybe he, was test- maybe he was testing the waters for, like, putting out a live album, which he, I think he would do in this decade. Yeah. Yeah, there's a few of them. But the real bad grab bag one from this era, well, I don't want to jump ahead, but, like, the the 73 Dylan album with, oh, like, the yeah. tie-dye cover, that that's, like, almost... I but mean, he's excused really- from that one, though, because he didn't even sign off on it. That was just the label putting out a bunch of junk that was on the cutting room floor. Yeah, I think is exactly. it, okay, I could well, be wrong. I think it's because it. he left Columbia, right? Where he put up exactly Planet right. Waves on um, Asylum or whatever. Yeah, yeah, and it was just them doing a cash. It's like when Radiohead when uh when they left EMI and EMI put out Radiohead's greatest hits and the band did like press saying don't buy it, no one buy it. Right? Didn't Van Morrison like record a whole troll album to like get out of a contract? One yeah, time? he did. I mean, I feel like a bunch of people twenty done or thirty. Even <laughs> metal machine music to some extent is like that, right? I, I, I like the idea of Van Morrison signing one album contracts and then just like <laughs> trolling his way out of the contract. Yeah, I gotta get out of this. That last one he put out about COVID, that was so horrible. Oh, yeah. I don't it, know if that was even on a label or if it was just self-released. It was like so 21 bad. tracks and just ridiculous. He had a song about Facebook on there. Why, why are you on Facebook? It was yeah. called. Yeah. God, that yeah. shit was so bad. And it was such cookie cutter garbage too. Just musically so uninspired. I know. Yeah. Like even more so than modern day Bob Dylan. He'll just go through a blues progression and say, do that for 20 songs. And I don't really want to hear it, Van. Yeah. Um, no, yeah, he did record an album called Latest Music Project, which is very trolly. Uh, but yeah. I don't know. I've never, I've never been a huge Van Morrison guy where it's like, uh, in my mind, if like Dylan did something like that, I would find like anything funny. But with Van Morrison, I'm kind of just like, shut the fuck up, man. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know? I mean, Van Morrison was good. He had like, obviously Astral Weeks is good and a few others around that era, but. Yeah, he's fine, but he hasn't been a cultural fixture yeah. the way Bob Dylan has. Yeah, it's been a long time since he's been notable. And he's also people no- don't really look to Van Morrison and he only ha- really has that one era as far as most people know or I know I think. Yeah. Like the Astral Weeks Moondance era. I also think as a performer he's like so notoriously hot and cold where it's like you either get the most amazing show ever or he like swears and walks off stage two shows in. Uh which is way less enticing than a Dylan show where it's like, eh, it'll probably be weird and who knows what it'll be like, but there's a curiosity to it nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. 
All right, so new morning. This is like the opposite now where, John, you were defending self-portrait and me and Alex are defending new morning. <laughs> it's also mercifully short, you know, like it's a pretty yeah, it's okay. brisk one. Uh, if not for you is worse than George Harrison's version, but it's still good. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. You got to have more arrangements. It's like, I exactly. You're right. Yeah. George Harrison puts that's in the work I, to finish the arrangement. That's what a finished Bob Dylan song sounds like. Yeah, it's good. Like that's why Bob Dylan's a great artist to cover because you can do a better arrangement than him, but you can't write a better song than him. Right. So you get the benefit of taking his songwriting and then making it sound better than he made it sound. Yeah. Good point. But yeah, it has I think Man and Me, which of course, I mean, it came to from Big Lebowski, like a lot of people, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, I don't dislike it. What is yeah. the objective score? Let's find out. 1.8. Damn, I guess it oh, is. Holy shit. I just really didn't like it. <laughs> wow. Or, I'm, I'm wow. writing all these down. Um, I think uh, Went to See the Gypsy is good. Day of the Locust is good. It might have lost points because it's a slur. Um, right. Sign on the Window is a good song. The title track is good. Yeah. Sign on the Window is a good song. I'm sure we'll, um, we'll gloss hmm. over this one quick, but the soundtrack for Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid. I love that movie and by extension, the soundtrack. Like, that's one of my. Never own. seen it. Oh, it's so awesome. It's like one of those like late cycle anti Westerns where, you know, it's b- the story of. Uh, Pat Garrett and Billy the Kid, where James Coburn is like trying to capture Chris Christopherson, but it's made in this way that's so like pregnant with the notion of fate and the idea that these guys will just like end up destroying each other and their friendship will be ruined. And it's really like melancholic. It feels more like a Robert Altman movie than a Sam Peckinpah movie. Uh, And it has like a pretty cool Dylan soundtrack. And that's like the movie from which like Knocking on Heaven's Door came. Yeah, that's what Uh, I was going to say is like, that's this is basically for most people, a single with a bunch of other random instrumentals and stuff. Yeah. And he's in the movie too, Dylan. He plays like, Like, maybe I should watch that. Like, do do you think that it really contextualizes this album enough to... uh, Transform like the way you view the album, kind of. I I have the soundtrack and I'll put it on from time to time just to like vibe out to it. But uh, yeah, I don't know. the The soundtrack is like a really nice texture to the movie, and it's like compared with something like McCabe and Mrs. Miller, which uses like Leonard Cohen music anachronistically in a way that like I like it, but I can understand why it is a bit of a chore for some people. I think that this movie does a good thing where it's like it makes this kind of like epic, sad, Western feel pop and contemporary by having like a Dylan soundtrack without it being like a wink or something like that. Yeah. And yeah. D- yeah. Dylan plays like an outlaw in it and it's like cool, weird role. And apparently Sam Peckinpah who directed it just fucking hated Dylan and like <laughs> thought that he thought that he was like a total chore and he was just like foisted on him by the studio. And then of course, like Dylan, his book is like, I worked with Sam Peckinpah, one of the greatest directors to ever live and a true outlaw who lived by his own code. <laughs> and then Sam Peckinpah is just like, I hate Bob Dylan. <laughs> I'm sure it is a chore to work with him. So, oh, they're, definitely. They're both uh, right for thinking that. But this yeah. one, yeah, overall, this is another one where I'm expecting a low score because it's got one all timer song on it. Yeah. But then a bunch of instrumentals and stuff. It's not really like a full, like, Dylan album in a way you expect an album to be, you know? You, you don't like Bunkhouse theme? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, would, uh, it would take a lot of effort to recall what that sounds like. Yeah. Uh, I also like that the B-side for the Knocking on Heaven's Door single is just called Turkey Chase. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is so cool. <laughs> I'm imagining, uh, like, <laughs> 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 Turkey in the Straw cover. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. It's just like the ice cream truck song. But if Dylan was more of a troll, <laughs> Turkey Chase should have been the A side and knocking on Heaven's Door the B side. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then when Axl Rose discovered it, it would have been a huge thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that cover is so bad. Oh, God. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And for a worse movie. Was it, was it on the, da- for- the Days of Thunder soundtrack? Was it? I think I so. never saw that movie. I think so, but I'm not positive. Don't quote me. It was on that. during these sessions that Bob Dylan wrote Rock Me Mama, which was turned into Wagon Wheel. Yeah, there we one go. of the most annoying songs. Yeah. He should have just finished it. Should have finished it himself. Then they couldn't have taken the other half of it. I like this. Maybe people would play it more at parties then. I don't know. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. We can skip. Well, what is it objectively right? Let's see. At? Yeah. Okay. Now feel, that we've gotten I, two low ones, I'm just expecting it's going to be like nine seven. Yeah, it's going to it's going <laughs> to yeah. be hot. It's due to pay out now. Let's find out. Okay. Yeah. Six point one. So uh, all right. okay, I that's think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, that's in line with the average review on here. I like that I'm writing this down with a pen and paper as if I'm going to do something with the information <laughs> letter. Well, here's the thing. It is objectively correct. So it is, you know this before anyone else in the world besides us, you know? That's that's true. Yeah, I'm going to post a picture of it to Twitter and get the, the Dylan set just fucking salivating. We did that once when we did this with the Beatles and like a handful of people got mad, but people didn't care enough. We should actually push this and try to make people mad. I think Dylan That's, people are easier to make mad than Beatles people in that way, maybe. Oh, definitely. I mean, the thing with Dylan people, and it's like, I appreciate the instinct, like I'm saying, but there is like a, people have like an auteur theory thing for it, where it's like the worst Dylan album is more interesting than a good album by an average artist. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and and it's like, I, I appreciate that view, but I don't think it necessarily bear- like there's definitely bad Dylan songs and Dylan albums. You yeah. Know? I mean, I've been, inter- that's like my big kick lately for all those like sixties guys, whether it's the Beatles or Rolling Stones or Zeppelin or Dylan or any of that shit, all of them had genuinely great songs and trash songs. Like none of them went without making a few fucking terrible songs. And that's just normal in like the process, you know? Yeah. And I, I get that like that detritus might be interesting if you're trying to craft like a, a cohesive autobiographical portrait or biographical portrait of an artist, which people want to do with Dylan so badly because like he is so mysterious. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I don't think that excuses. Hey, Dylan is mysterious because there's nothing there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He's copying other people. You can never exactly. uncover what's beneath it because there's nothing beneath it, kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what are you looking for? It's like Woody Guthrie and it's uh, Hank Williams and a well, couple that, other people. That's the thing, especially in this Elvis. era. Like, when he's doing the Rolling Thunder tours or when he did that Ronaldo yeah. and Clara movie, his big gimmick was like wearing face paint and wearing those like translucent plastic masks. And it's like, how much more plainly can someone tell you that like they're trying to hide themselves so that they can give you something truthful, you know? Yeah, exactly. Uh, That's true of most pop stars now. Yeah, definitely. You're kind of expected to do that, to have different eras, to have different, different but, faces but the, the to yourself. David that, Bowie was a big part of that. Uh, the difference like today though, is that on social media, you are expected to be some version of yourself. Like it's assumed that the things you're posting on like TikTok or Twitter or whatever Uh, are a reflection of you in a way that Dylan's own work is like never really a reflection of him as a normal person, you know? Right. Well, that's a thing. Like my favorite quote theory about Bob Dylan is that he's just like a Jewish guy who likes to stay at home, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And, and like, he's probably just kind of weird and funny and normal. I think that's probably ultimately true. Like 
he sa- he saved himself from like superstardom by just never letting people see who he is, you know, which has its ups and downs maybe, but he's probably I don't know. I don't even know. I don't even know if he could determine whether he's happy or not, though. If you asked him that, I couldn't guess. Yeah. Imagine he was super happy. <laughs> yeah. Insanely weird. Also, he's a they, super happy-go-lucky guy skipping around his house. Yeah. yeah. The just, sun is shining. Just, in, just inside his house. Uh, but there's, like, stories about, like, Dylan's house where he lives in like Malibu would be like, yeah, he holds himself up in one room and his family never sees him. It's like, how can that be true? You know, it's like, probably a big room and it has a bathroom. <laughs> attached. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, yeah. An ensuite other room uh, and several smaller rooms within it. But I'm looking yeah, up, it's, I'm it's looking half up, of the house. Yeah. Uh, I'm looking at the 73 Dylan compilation. I want this next one. And I didn't even know about this. The website music hound gave it a woof rating <laughs> oh wow i hate the music hounds i think they should be they rounded up and sent the to press. the pound yeah they should be sent to a kill shelter yeah. I, th- yeah I trust that i don't trust that okay here's the thing i trust them on dylan but i don't trust them on something like the baja men where they might be predisposed to like it that's true i want to see the music hounds like full like they need a robert crisco style searchable site yeah that's <laughs> But they only started publishing in 1996. Interesting. That's so, so they, funny. So the music hound was not even yet born to give a proper review to Dylan 73. That's so fucking annoying. Now I love Dylan 73. Like the idea that like you're coming, you're starting a fucking music review website in 1997 and be like, hey guys, this just in the Bob Dylan compilation album that everyone despises is bad. And we give it a wolf. It's like, just <laughs> shut the fuck up. You know, tell me that it's good and like lie to me at least to be interesting. I think it's bullshit that a defunct music review website gets to be on there forever. Yeah, it's true. Well, they should cycle it out. Like if Pitchfork does a review of it, you can put that on there. Sometimes they review old albums, but something from, what, 27 years ago? Some website that doesn't work it anymore? Only I don't care what they think. It was only around from 96 to 2002. That's just some random guy. He's probably dead. So they gave a uh, like a bone system. So five bones was the highest score. Uh, and then the lowest was wolf, which signified, quote, dog food. So why just call it dog food? Uh, Wait, dogs like dog food. Yeah, that's why they're woofing for it. Yeah. It, it doesn't make sense. Dogs like woofing. They like dog food. I guess the scale is meant for humans, but then the bones, do humans like dog bones? That's the question. What, what was like the, the horny- Never tried one. What was the horny like music review or movie review website that used to use a bone metric for rating? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Was it, was it Mr. Skin? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, that might be <laughs> um, I literally just looked at Mr. Skin bone scale- uh, <laughs> bones nude scenes. Uh, well, I don't want to just look up nudes right now. Yeah, that's a whole different episode right there. <laughs> uh, okay, that's basically, like getting distracted. Yeah, we should try to just get through this self-titled 73 album here. It's all covers and traditional songs. It's all cutting room floor stuff. And Wait, I think I, there's, a, there's a Joni Mitchell cover on it. Yeah. Oh, he did Big Yellow Taxi. Even, it's just it's, an obvious one to do, too. I didn't get to this one. This is one that I haven't heard. I've heard most of the 70s albums and I was trying to catch up. I didn't get to this one. But uh or no, I get part part of the way through it. Yeah, it's an easy one to triage. I think the first song is pretty good. But I'm I assume the Big Yellow Taxi cover is better than the Counting Crows one. Uh probably. Oh, yeah, I didn't know is. they did that. <laughs> you are you serious? Yeah, I never heard that. 
You've never heard that. No, Paradise has so. been long paved by the time the Counting Crows are getting around to it. That's right. Okay, okay what's the rating? Let's Eight, see. nine? 8.0. His best oh, one yet. Wow. Who can argue? Wow. Interesting. It makes sense because we're talking about Dylan and the album is called Dylan and it's full of Dylan songs. So if you're a Dylan fan. Well, it appears that Music Hound has dog food on their face because this is actually four bones out of five, <laughs> not a wolf but, by any stretch. But again, why what, would I ask a dog to judge music? Yeah. And when they want dog food on their face, I guess in their mouth. They want, they, they well, love dog food. It should be, well, I would I was going to say dog poop, but sometimes they eat that. Here's the thing. I do trust the dog's <laughs> opinion on music because they can hear higher frequencies than us. That's so true. The dog oh, is are those hearing, on this Bob Dylan album? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're hearing something around like, you know, over like 20 hertz that makes the album much better. Yeah. 20 kilohertz. Uh, yeah, good point. Is that why uh, young people don't like Bob Dylan? Or yeah. why, like, <laughs> why I didn't even bother trying to listen to Bob Dylan until I was like 28? Yeah, there's you something can, in the high Because there just, there's a dog whistle playing that makes kids go, oh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's like it's like the uh, song from Halloween three. Like when kids hear Bob Dylan, uh, they just start grabbing their skulls and worms and insects start pouring out of their fucking heads. <laughs> um, All right. Now we're getting to the part of the 70s where people actually like this stuff more. Yeah. So Planet Waves. This is another like uneven one, but there's good stuff on here. Like Forever Young's a popular song for a reason. It's also just an insanely like. Dylan moved to put two versions of it back to back in a row on the album. I was telling my wife this the other day, but when I was a kid, my mom like went to some art fair and bought like a Planet Waves record that had been turned into like a CD shelf that you could put like seven CDs into. So they like carve out the middle. And I was reflecting on like how funny it is to be like, 14 and be like, yeah, my favorite Dylan record is Planet Waves, and I've got like two Metallica CDs and no doubt's Tragic Kingdom <laughs> stored in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those are the only albums I know about. Yeah. yeah. Just, I'm hoping to purchase more. Yeah. I'm hoping to get a copy of Planet Waves one day. Um, but I don't know. I don't really love I mean, I like Tough Mama is probably the song that I really like on this. I think Going Going uh, Gone is good. There's some good ones. Yeah. And this is like when he started, what did he start? Is this the first one where the band is like his band on it? Yeah, this and then the live album after it, but they don't sing, which sucks. I guess you would have to, it would change the songs completely if you had three part vocal harmonies on the Bob Dylan songs, but... Yeah, I'm a, I don't know. It sucks to hear the band and you don't you don't hear those vocals. I'm a bit of a band hater, but a lot of it has to do with growing up in Canada really? and just hearing the stuff get played into the dirt. I mean, oh, so, it's CanCon. Yeah, exactly. Same with Gordon Lightfoot. Like, it took me a long time to really appreciate like how sort of gloomy and melancholic Gordon Lightfoot was because you just hear that fucking twenty minute song about a boat capsizing like on the radio <laughs> as if it was Pink Floyd's money or just like a regular rock song, you know, yeah. <laughs> but I just, the band I, was barely even Canadian. That's true. I mean, I think it's like specifically just like the weight I feel has been just like run into the dirt. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. I don't like that. Well, song. anyone, they, anyone they can claim they're going to claim. Yeah. Even if they moved to uh, Arkansas when they were 17. Yeah. And then lived in Woodstock and then lived in LA. Yeah, James Cameron is a great example. Who grew up in Chippewa, Ontario, right near where I was born. Uh, and the fact that I know that is proving exactly what you're saying. Yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, you got to claim them if they're from there, even if they immediately left. Yeah. All right, let's get the score on Planet Waves here. I think we're going to go low. I think 4.0. Yeah, uh, pretty low. We've been lower today, but that's what, maybe the second lowest today? 
Yeah, I mean, I think so. So, so far, yeah. the only passable album is the self-titled compilation. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's right. But this but, this is cl- this is classic Dylan, you know, right when everyone's got him down for the count, he comes out swinging. Yeah. And now we're getting to the albums that everyone generally loves, Blood on the Tracks. Alex, you were saying earlier that you don't like it. Yeah, maybe it's just cuz I I haven't had a breakup ever. It well in many many years. Mm-hmm. I'm happily married, so the divorce album is like, yeah, whatever. Just doesn't really do anything to me. But I find some of the songs like romantic. Like I think "Shelter from the Storm" is romantic. You tangled up in blue, simple. Like I don't know. Yeah. I don't. I, I mean, obviously, this is an album like suffused with heartache. But I can listen to it in my lovier, dovier moods. Plus, "Idiot Wind" is one of like the funniest, mean songs ever. But we're already skipping the uh, the live album, aren't we? Wait, or are we not doing live albums? Oh yeah, that's think, a good point. I guess we could include some of them. I, I was looking at Wikipedia that doesn't list them, but you're right. Yeah, before the flood, maybe we should go to that. Before the flood is actually really good. It's better than Planet I think it's Waves, good. I think. Yeah. yeah, I think it's good. The band is always very good on stage. I think the Lay Lady Lay version is better than the original version. Yeah, I don't really like the original that much. Yeah, I I agree with you on this. As much as I was just like coming out against the band, I love like the playing on this album, and I think it's like one of those things. I guess this is before the Rolling Thunder era, but where it's yeah, like, it is. you you get the sense of Dylan being like a rock star in a meaningful way. Like it's so high energy. It'd be so fun to see these shows. I think I have a way to triangulate some of our band takes here is that my feeling is I like them better as Bob Dylan's backing band than as the band. Oh, hundred percent. Really? Yeah. I, I think again, I'm I, the opposite. I think I just don't like Robbie Robertson. Really? I like Lee I'm a Robbie Helm. Robertson apologist. I don't think you have to apologize, though, because most people seem to like him. Um, I don't know. I don't know what bugs me about him. I think it's because I hate that song, Somewhere Down the Crazy River, so much. It uh, is ridiculous that he wrote those <laughs> songs from, like, he did the same thing Credence did, where they pretended to be from the bayou and yeah. they were from California. <laughs> and he was, like, he's a, a Native American guy from Canada. Yeah. Who pretended to be, like, a Southern guy for some reason, which is very weird, but... I don't know. Like I, he always he comes off to me as cool and not annoying. In the in the last waltz, people are all like always like he's so slimy seeming and put together. But you, you listen to the other guys talking and they're like, rah, 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 rah. yeah, rah, rah, rah. they like pan to Richard on the couch. And, rah, 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 rah. <laughs> so obviously he had to do that stuff. Who no one was, no one else was going to step up. I, I think he was just the most like sniffed up in that movie where he seems more on the ball, right? Yeah, he was. It was his. It was uh, stage managed by him. <laughs> Which I uh, I understand people being annoyed by when they were around it. Yeah, totally. especially since there was bad cocaine everywhere. But what what is the accurate rating of Before the Flood? Let's find out. One point three. Damn. Whoa, Holy moly! I guess we were wrong. They really didn't like it. Maybe it's too long. Ninety two minutes. And there's too is many songs time. by the band on there. That's true. Let's 1. stick to 3. Dylan, please. Yeah, it's a yeah. This is a Dylan list. We should do the '76 heart, uh, the Hard Rain album. I fucking love that live album. But we'll get okay, there. cool. Yeah, we'll we'll keep that. Oh, that's in. a good one. I guess we should start going quicker through some of these. Okay, okay. Blood um, on the tracks. Blood on the tracks. Bl- Let's see. Yeah, I think it's gonna get a high score. You know, this is a classic. It's good. Let's check it out. Let's see. All right. Three point eight. Damn, we're getting a oh, lot of low scores today. Damn. Shouldn't have got divorced. Wow. People want to hear albums about happily married guys. Yeah, that's what divorced, people guys. love to hear lyrics about. Yeah. Probably his ex-wife is. 
Yeah. Well, I'm team hashtag team Sarah, so I could not. She's get invested in the computer company yeah, somehow. We should become <laughs> Dylan stands on Twitter who act like Taylor Swift fans, where we take a or side like, in his divorce, or, 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 or that it's like the Vanderpump Rules breakup, where we're hashtag team Sarah and. We stand. We stand, Sarah Dillon. Team Dillon. Um, yeah, a marriage that ended like fifty-five years ago. <laughs> yeah. there, there, <laughs> there's a great story about Blood on the Tracks where Dylan, like in this era, uh, played the entire album acoustically, like front to back, for Graham Nash and Stephen Stills. Uh, which, like, what a cool thing to be in the room and he's doing this whole album that's going to go on to be such a classic. And like Graham Nash's jaw was on the floor. And then Dylan leaves, and Stephen Stills apparently was like, "Man, I tell you that Dylan, uh, he's a good songwriter, but he's no musician." <laughs> that's tr- that's the exact most true thing about him ever, you know. Yeah, that's a hundred percent my take too. Well, it's not like Stephen Stills is that great himself. Well, he played. He put out a lot of really boring. No, shit. I, I think Stephen Stills is a terrible songwriter, but he did like all the music on the CSNY albums. Like he, that is funny. Know, They're the-, the opposite of each other. Yeah, if you could just combine the two of them. <laughs> Yeah, like I hate Stephen. Like I think "Love the One You're With" is one of the most like obnoxious songs ever. But yeah, like on the CSNY albums, like those guys would come lay down harmonies and play a little acoustic guitar, and then Stephen Stills would just be in the studio doing blow for three days straight, playing every instrument and doing every track. <laughs> uh, so, and plus, probably the first guy to casually wear a football jersey in rock music and just act like it's a shirt. Hell yeah! Wow, <laughs> that was a stride. Don't cite me on that, but. Then we have the basement tapes, which like okay, this is basically the '60s here. This yeah. is a, a like kind of an asterisk that they just decided to release this at this point. This is a band outtake album, and I think it's the best '70s Dylan album. Ooh, wow. now there's a tape. I think I'm gonna make that claim. I can believe that you believe that. <laughs> you, yeah, you do get some good versions on here. Like they have "You Ain't Going Nowhere," which Fairpoint, a uh, Fairpoint, Fairport Convention played originally. So like, it's nice to see like those songs done by Dylan, which he like wrote for other people. Uh, All right, let's see. What does this one get? 1.4. Damn. It's been oh, nothing but low scores on. this whole <laughs> wow. way. Desi Smith is a really good song. Million dollar bash. We've talked about another Fairport convention song. Ordering man. a 150 or 121st of a lion. Katie's <laughs> yeah. been gone is a great song. Going Al Capoco is a great song. Odds and ends. Orange. Almost every track on this is good. The Not good enough to get a two, though. Yeah. The computer doesn't like it. Uh, it's too raw and real. Wasn't the basement tapes the thing where it's like, it's what George Harrison, like he was there briefly while they were doing it. And it's what kind of like turned him against the Beatles where he's like, why can't we be like this? Where they're just was, having fun. It was hearing uh, music from Big Pink. Right. But didn't, wasn't he at Big Pink when they were recording it or something? I can't remember. I, think it's I don't a, think he was. I think it's in that nine hour long Peter Jackson movie. I still need um, to watch that. But speaking of long uh, movies, Next up is Desire and that Scorsese Rolling Thunder documentary. I feel like helped contextualize this album for me a lot. Yeah, this this is one I used to really love when I was younger, but I never come back to now. Like I love I think Isis is such a fun song. That's what I was going to say. That's the best song on here. I love that song. And such a jam. And like when you watch those live performances, but like uh, Joey, a fucking 11 minute song called Joey. I don't know. Not for me. Yeah. There's too much like like epics like even hurricane. It's like okay, yeah, it's too. It's uh, that's my thought on that too. Is like you cut this down to like four and a half minutes, maybe. Yeah, and it's like you know, did you, they? No, I can you they, though? They should have. There, there was a single version where he just uh, it just reports on the crime and doesn't complicate it. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> oh yeah, just give the facts like Associated Press. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what? Yeah, there's what? too much editorializing in these Dylan songs. Exactly, uh, but I will say this for Hurricane: it's one of like the things you can point to whenever people are like, "Music can change the world," and it's like, well, there's might there's like one case, which yeah, is like Dil- yeah. Dylan donating the avails of that single to like get this guy out of jail. That is actually what was the- on one of Jeffrey Epstein's playlists. <laughs> That's so funny. Yeah. Wow. I think Bob Dylan should write a song about how he was innocent yeah. and he was falsely convicted. And he didn't hang himself. Uh, yeah. But no, yeah, Desire Desire's kind of like mixed for me. I think Sarah is a beautiful song and Isis and One More Cup of Coffee is cool, but like that's it, I think. Yeah. And you kind of started getting at this, but I wish there was just um, more of the concert footage used in the Scorsese documentary because that's the most interesting thing of like, those performances are really interesting and there is like a live album from it, but I was more interested to actually see it visually because yeah. it's such like an idiosyncratic tour in that way. It's one of those, like, I think it's one of the earlier bootleg series ones. Well, this is where he plays with that, like, really wild violinist Scarlet Riviera yeah, yeah. or Rivera. Uh, she's awesome. And I mean, it gives the album a real vibe. But yeah, just doing like an 11 minute story song about a gangster. I don't know. I don't know about that. And the other thing about this era is that like you couldn't do it today where like one of the top artists puts on this huge tour and just loses money. Cause it's so mismanaged on purpose. Like no one's fucking steering the ship and he's well, playing and- to like smaller crowds than he could play to. And they're just losing money. Like everything is so stage managed these days that like you have to kind of admire what like a clusterfuck it was. Why did it go so badly? I never saw that documentary. Well, they were, they, he could have, was that an era like coming off before the flood where he could have played like, he hadn't toured for a couple of years and he could have played like hockey arenas, right? But yeah. he was playing like middle school gyms and shit like that. And they were all like driving around in an RV that Dylan himself was driving. And it was like, putting on these kind of like frantic high energy live shows with like a bunch of different uh, support acts, like, Joni Mitchell or Gordon Lightfoot or Ronnie Hawkins or whatever. Uh, And it's like Dylan had an idea for it, I suppose, which is that it would kind of be this sort of like goofy traveling cavalcade. Uh, But it just like, you know, he undersold what he could have done in tickets by probably a 10th at every show. Yeah, exactly. And they would have shit like Allen Ginsberg would do a tight five before a band. You know, (laughs) just like, yeah, sir, please put some shoes on. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There's a joke I could make about Allen Ginsberg in a tight five, but I'm not going to make it. Hey. <laughs> Just going to move past it. All right. So, Desire, what does this get? 2.2. Dude. What the fuck, man? There's so <laughs> many low scores. 2.2. This thing wow. is due to hit right here. We're going to get a high one soon. Okay. So, Hard I think rain. it's pretty good. I think the version of Maggie's Farm is pretty good. Or I, I thought we were talking about Hard Rain. Yeah, now we are. Oh, yeah, Hard Rain now. This uh, is the live album from Desire. I, I yeah. love I love this record. And it's like, the, of all the stuff from this era that I would like shout out to check out, it would be this. Like the Shelter from the Storm on this, I fucking love. Like I have it on a jogging playlist. It's so like heavy and fun. Nice. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. It's like T-Bone Burnett was playing with him on this record. Scarlet Rivera was on it again. Yeah. Uh, Super like a, a thing, kind of like what you were saying, Charles. Where, like he never finishes songs. But, like the arrangements on this are all like, yeah, I don't know, kind of weird and heavy. And like when you see live footage, he's always wearing this like uh, white do rag on his head. I can't really describe what it looks like. Uh, a do rag? Well, like a band- he moved on from the hat. He moved on from the hat. What, what is it called? It's like it's like when you do like the you tie the tips of it. 
Uh, I'm gonna look this up. I don't know. Uh, can you type in Bob Dylan hat? People just have fucking vanity <laughs> Etsy hats. Bob Dylan 1976 was his thug era. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> yeah, he, he needed to pull his pants sh- up. He was wearing a Shecky, uh, which just kind of looks like he's all those gangster epics he was writing. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, I'm the real Joey Gallo. Um, It kind of looks like a cafe. I don't know. I can't describe it. But go go look at this. People got mad at his white hat. That's true. Um, People hate that he wore it at the last waltz and he upstaged everybody. You couldn't see people behind him because of his big white hat. (laughs) But I think it was funny. If you can make people mad with a hat, uh, what's better than that? Was Curious George before or after that? The man with the big yellow hat. He might have stolen it. Way before, I think. That was from like the 50s, right? Yeah. Dylan's copping that that fit from... Well, we've talked about him and Curious George, about how he ate Curious That's George. That's true. He cooked him up. All right. So what does Hard Rain get? Let's see. 4.2. Dude. What the we've, fuck? We've man? got almost no scores over At least over it's a, a little better than the last one. <laughs> okay. Let's skip compilation albums, especially because we're just kind of like taking a while. To- okay. Street I feel like such a chump yes. being being earnest, being like, oh, if anyone checks out one album, it's got to be Hard Rain. And then the 4.2 comes in. Yeah. <laughs> How can anyone take it seriously? Well, it's better than the one before it. That's true. Okay, and Street music Legal. is a game of increments. Street Legal. Okay, this would be like my favorite Dylan album of this era. I think. Yeah, you're the one who has really? to make the case for this. I don't think I've heard this in one. My, my like, minimal amount of listening to it, it is kind of corny in the way that Lou Reed becomes corny around this time of like a bunch of like big choirs and stuff that's like... Yeah, he he had... It's kind of his... Yeah, you're right. Like Lou Reed or reminds me of uh, the... This might be damning to some, but like the Nick Cave Abattoir uh, Blues Liar of Orpheus record where he has like the gospel choir. But like the thing that the thing that he's doing in this, I mean, the easiest way to describe it is like, I think he's like trying to sound like the East East Street Band. Like there's horns on this record. There's backup singers. There's like harmonies. But there's also amazing songs like Changing of the Guards is a wicked song that's been covered by like Patti Smith and Frank Black. Senor is a great song. Where Are You Tonight? And then I think it's Journey Through Dark Heart in parentheses uh, <laughs> is like one of my top five Dylan songs. Oh, damn. Like. Okay. I need to and give like, more time to this album than I think saying it sounds like the E Street Band is kind of damning for me because I think Springsteen is like not good overall, but well, it, it just wow. has like it just has like a we should bi- do a Springsteen a episode. Yeah, we should because yeah. I, have, I have like no interest in Springsteen at all for the most part. Did you know Peggy Bundy was one of the singers on this album? No, it's true. I did. I did know that there was a picture of them circulating. Um, what's her name? P- Pam Siegel, Katie, Katie Seagal. Siegel. Wow. I guess she was a backup singer before she was Peggy Bundy, and she was Leela on Futurama. Funny. Wow. Wow. But uh, no, I love. I like. Unironically love this record. I think it rocks. And it's like, it kind this, if you like this record, it puts a lot of his Christian stuff in context, I think, because you just kind of see the sound that he wants to go for. And then from here, it's like half a step to be like, oh, it's just become a gospel recording artist. Yeah, you know? that makes sense. Okay, let's see. What's the correct score here? 9.4. You This time oh, you're right. Wow. You finally Vindicated. got one right. There we go. Vindicated. This is his masterpiece of the 70s, according to an objectively correct method for determining these things it'll probably outscore blonde on blonde the way this thing's rolling <laughs> totally okay dylan at the budokan his last live album from this decade let's just roll a score right away on that 0.6 right back into the Holy gutter shit, what went wrong here <laughs> fair enough totally. i guess doesn't have great reviews and it might be his least well-reviewed live album of like the 70s for sure and it's all does he have one from the 80s uh 
I don't know. Yeah, I don't know the 80s. There's one from 1984. That one, I think, has better reviews. Slightly better reviews. Real live. It's weird because it's like these, the the live albums, except for Hard Rain, they always feel like such a nostalgia play because it's all like old songs usually, right? Like it's just a way of repackaging hits. But again, if you're into like the psychotic Dylan rearrangements of his own music, you must listen to Dylan live yeah. at Budokan. I would never buy this. I would listen to it on Spotify one or two times, yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. At Budokan is always such like feels like a damning like stay away. Except for Cheap Trick, I guess people love. Do they that still record. have Budokan? I don't know. I think so. Yeah, it's still like a. You don't pop- hear about that. It's like the Fillmore East and the Fillmore West. They got rid of those real quick. I'm pretty yeah. sure it's still like a big thing. I think it's probably just. Oh like yeah, I guess they have a, a rustling venue predominantly. But they use it for the Olympics. There's a ton of live albums. Like, like obviously the Cheap Trick album is super famous. Like when I was a kid, I had an Aussie album that was live at Budokan. Uh, I think there's like a Yellow Magic Orchestra record I have somewhere live at Budokan. Maybe it's a sign, a good sign. Well, they're from there. That doesn't even. Yeah, count. I That's think for true. for That's like true. a Western band going through there, it just makes sense to record your album in Tokyo because you're just gonna have the biggest crowd. Like, totally. I think it's probably a very pragmatic thing. Yeah, and people just, like, lose their minds as if their yeah. fucking heads are going to explode. All right, so rounding out the 70s, slow train coming. Here's the Christian turn. Uh, Like, Gotta Serve Somebody is not as bad of a song as you would think on paper, I guess. Like, Yeah, there's a fine. groove to yeah, it, Yeah, like, least. it's fine. It's, That's it's, the thing about a lot of this stuff is it's more produced like if it was just acoustic and harmonica, oh, it would be and it was awful. Christian. Yeah, it would be awful. But some of them are a little bit funky. There's like uh, I don't know. It's not great. It's like AOR yeah. at the best, but yeah, it's fine. The, there's some nice songs here. Like "Man Gave Names to All the Animals" is kind of funny. I mean, I'm now I'm just thinking of Bad Lou Reed because of like an album, a song like "Animal Talks" or whatever. But "Precious Angel" is like kind of a sweet love song if you can like stomach the fact that he's just like thanking a woman for making him a Christian. <laughs> uh, but I have a soft spot for this stuff, again, just because I like the sound. Maybe I sound like I'm too fucking in the bag. But we have a bumper <laughs> sticker on our car that's like Bob Dylan, and it says, ain't going to go to hell for anybody, which is like an outtake from this song. Oh, uh, funny. Which I feel like uh, stops Christians from vandalizing my Subaru Crosstrek. <laughs> Do you have a, a bunch of ornery Christians in the neighborhood? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're just like slapping rosaries in their open palms. <laughs> like it's a blackjack. <laughs> Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm like generally kind of mixed on the Dylan Christian period stuff. I mean, this, I think eh, some people like shot of love, but I think this is probably like the best of the Christian stuff. But again, if you want like another vantage on the Dylan Christian period, the bootleg series live thing that came out from this period, when you hear those live recordings and again, like how big and full and exciting they are, it kind of makes me like retrospectively appreciate this stuff. But I'm curious what it is objectively worth. Let's find out. 9.1. Wow. Christian Almost as good as street legal. Wow. He really ends the decade on a high note with two classics here. Yes. Two albums that nobody likes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, Bob Dylan, and we leave you now in the arms of Christ. Yeah. I think I'm going to become a Christian, too, after seeing what a high score this got. It worked for Bob Dylan until he came back with Infidels, which everyone was like, this is him not being Christian anymore. But then every song is about 
like Jesus Christ. Still. Yeah, it's called Infidels. <laughs> yeah, and like, like why? The, why is that the name of the comeback album, Bob? Yeah, and like the song Joker Man, which is a great song. It's like I saw a man holding two snakes in his hands, and all this like Pentecostal imagery. It's like, well, <laughs> I don't think you're. Quite... What do you think about Saved and Shot of Love? Uh, Saved, I don't know. I know too those well. are eighties, but yeah, Saved, I don't know too well. But uh, that to me is like the the most Christian one. Uh, in a way where it's kind of like hard to listen to outside of that framework. Uh, Maybe the worst Bob Dylan album cover. Oh, awful. What is it? Like the hand, the finger, the reaching hands. Oh yeah. This looks like shit. Yeah. It's God awful. Yeah. But shot of love has some good songs. I mean, I think the title track is kind of fun, but again, it's like you listen to the lyrics, you're kind of like tapping your foot and it's all about how he needs to be Christian. But then it's got tracks like every grain of sand, groom still waiting at the altar, heart of mine that are just nice. Well, here's the thing. I think we can bring this full circle to close it out by saying the reason he's the number six most famous artist from Minnesota is that he wasn't Christian enough because Tammy Faye Baker is number two and she's as Christian as they come. Absolutely. So I think if he stayed in his Christian faith forever, he could have been number one in Minnesota. But, and Prince, you know. Prince became a Latter-day Saints guy too, late in life, but I guess not soon enough. Yeah, could have gotten a little more material out of that, but... In any uh, case, John, thanks for being here and uh, discovering the truth about Bob Dylan in the 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. You There's, got plugs? Uh, no. Do I have plugs? I don't know. I, I write stuff. So you can follow me on Twitter at John Semley 3000. Uh, yeah, that's it. Hey, Tazon Day's from Minnesota. So shout out oh, to Tazon really? How did he not yeah. make the top 10? <laughs> He's definitely more famous than most of these people. It yeah. is weird that Chocolate Rain and Purple Rain both hail. From the weather, the weather systems of Minnesota, the land of a thousand uh, yeah, types of rain. <laughs> ten, All those lakes ten, they evaporate. Yeah, exactly, it's a ten thousand types of rain. And Bob Dylan, uh, hard rain's gonna fall. All kinds of rain. Oh wow, yeah. Damn. Uh, well, yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. I had a blast. Absolutely. Uh,